we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. To meet a fact totally implies meeting it intellectually and emotionally. This process of learning about the fact is not possible when you approach it with thought, which is already known. Hello and welcome to episode 156 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast is compiled from carefully chosen extracts from the archives representing Krishnamurti's different approaches to many of the fundamental issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is facts. Upcoming themes are contradiction, transformation and occupation. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust, based at Brockwood Park in the UK, which is also home to the Krishnamurti Retreat Centre. Situated in the beautiful countryside of the South Downs National Park, the Krishnamurti Centre offers individual and group retreats for those wishing to inquire into themselves in light of Krishnamurti's teachings. Please visit krishnamurticentre.org.uk for more information. You can also find our regular Krishnamurti quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on facts has four sections. This first extract is from the first question and answer meeting at Brockwood Park in 1983, titled, What is a Fact? How do you know what you are saying is true? Why do you ask me that question? <laughs> Isn't it true that long, as long as there is national division, economic division, racial division, religious division, there must be conflict. That's a fact. Right? Would you accept that? So it's not what I say to be true, but the fact itself, facts themselves show what the truth is. As we talked the other day about relationship, as long as there is this separation between two human beings, psychologically, there must be conflict. That's a fact. It's not that what I say, how do I know what I say is true, but it's a fact that as long as I am ambitious and pursuing my particular form of pleasure, particular fulfilment, and my wife or husband does, or girlfriend does the same, we must inevitably end up in conflict. That's a fact. See, it's not, how do I know what truth is? First of all, let us look at facts. We are greatly prejudiced people. We have great many prejudices. We have cultivated them, we have strengthened them, 
by public opinion and so on that our prejudices prevent understanding other people right that's a fact so can I, can one be free of prejudices free of certain opinions which become so very strong in our lives And the question then arises, how is it possible for human beings to be free of prejudices? That we can discuss, that we can have a conversation, a dialogue, and say, look, I have prejudices, suppose I have them, and you have them, and so these prejudices, whether they are idealistic prejudices, capitalist prejudices, totalitarian prejudices, religious prejudices, they divide people. Right? It's simple fact. And where there is division, there must be conflict. The Arabs and the Jew, the Islamic world and the rest of the world, those who are terribly bigoted and those who are not must be in conflict. It's a very certain fact. I have nothing to do with it. Isn't how do I know what I am saying is true? We are just facing facts. Now, what is a fact? What do you think is a fact? That which has happened before an incident, a car accident, that's a fact. Or what is happening now, sitting here, is a fact. But what will happen in the future may not be a fact. I want to feel. So, fact implies that which has happened before, yesterday, walking along the lane, I met a, a viper, I saw it, I, it didn't bite me, that's a fact. And what is happening now, what I am thinking, what I am doing now is a fact. And what I will do may not be a fact. It might happen or might not happen. So if you are clear on what is a fact, and then what is an idea? You understand? Is an idea a fact? And the word idea, Greek and so on, Latin, means to observe. The root meaning of that word, idea, is to observe, to perceive, to see. What we do is see a fact and make an abstraction of it and then pursue the idea, which means there is always the fact and a conclusion from the fact, and pursue the fact, pursue the conclusion, not the understanding of the fact. Am I making myself clear? So please, it's not how do you know what you are saying is to be true? The speaker is merely pointing out facts. Those facts are not personal. If I say, 
I am a Hindu and stick to it. That's a fact. Whether it's an illusion, whether it is some kind of superstitious sentimental nonsense, that's also a fact. Yes, fact can be an illusion or actual. But most of us live with illusions. I'm an Indian, that's an illusion. And you are, if I may most gently point out, you are British. That's also an illusion. This tribal insular worship is destroying the world. That's a fact. As long as I am an Arab and you are something else, I'm going to destroy you because I believe by destroying you I go to heaven. Right? That's that's an illusion which they have accepted as a fact and for that illusion they are willing to fight and kill and destroy. Right? So, can we always deal with facts? Can we always be with facts? Not translate the facts according to my prejudice, according to my belief, according to my neurotic illusions, however noble they are, can I look at these facts and understand what those facts are telling, say? I had, suppose I had an accident in a car. Can I look at that fact that I'm rather careless they're driving too fast, not paying complete attention to what I was doing because I was talking to my friend next to me. That's a fact. But I then say, no, it's your fault because, you know, other man, the other fellow is the fool. Now, it's a fact that we have ideals, right? Don't you all have ideals? No? I wish we could have a dialogue, friendly, <laughs> talk to each other. Don't you have ideals? I'm afraid you do. <laughs> ideals. What, what are those ideals? Are they facts? The ideal that we must live peacefully, right? The ideal that we must be, whatever it is, non-violent, or the ideals of a communist, which are drawn from historical study, and but those studies are prejudiced by my conditioning. So. Why do we have ideals at all? I know this is a dangerous thing to say, because most of us live with these extraordinary ideals. We are questioning, please. I'm not saying you should or should not have ideals. I'm saying, why do we have ideals? Faiths, beliefs. As a Christian, as a Buddhist, as a Hindu, I'm an American, you are British, and you know, all the rest of it. Why? Is it our, mind, our brain is incapable of living without any illusion? What do you say to that? Is my brain capable 
strong, vital. To understand things as they are and not create a future ideal. Ideal is non-existent, right? All Christians and all religious people believe that you must not kill, right? And probably the Christians have killed more than anybody else, right? I admit it, so don't be... <laughs> and the Muslim, Islamic world have killed more, not, not, so, more, not so, many, so many as the Christians. <laughs> and probably the Buddhists and the Hindus come much on a lower scale, because they are barbarians, <laughs> they are uncivilized people. And so it goes on. And we know that ideals of every kind, faith, belief, divide people. Right? That's a fact. So can we be free of ideals, of faith, of being identified with one group and against Another group which identifies with another group, you follow? Be free of all this. Could we? Or is that impossible? If we could have a dialogue about this, then we'd exchange, yes, it's not, it is possible, it's not possible. Why is it not possible? You understand? Could we do that now? To have a free mind, free brain, that's not cluttered up with a lot of rubbish, a lot of illusions, is that possible? And it, some of you may say, no, it's not possible, because I can't live without my beliefs. I must have my ideals, my faith, otherwise I am lost. With your faith, with your beliefs, with your ideals, you are already lost. That's a fact, you are very lost people. But whereas if you could have a dialogue, conversation, and say, why do I cling to my particular prejudice, particular ideal, particular and so on, why have I identified myself with them? Why do I identify myself with anything? You follow? Push it. Push it deeply to find out why we do all these things. Why we have allowed ourselves to be programmed why we are afraid of public opinion and so on so on. So the question, how do you know what you are saying is true? I'm afraid it has very little meaning. Truth is not something that is not that is mysterious. Truth is where you are. From there we can begin. Truth is I'm angry. I'm jealous. I'm I aggressive, I quarrel. That's a truth, that's a fact. So one must begin if one may most respectfully point out where one is. That's why it's important to know oneself, to have complete knowledge of oneself, not from others, not from psychologists, brain specialists and so on, but to know what you are. 
because you are the story of mankind. You understand all this? If you know how to read that book, which is yourself, then you know all the activities and the brutalities and the stupidities of mankind, because you are the rest of the world. The second extract is from Krishnamurti's fourth talk in Bombay, 1966, titled The Word is Not the Fact. We would like this evening to go into the question of fear. But before we go into it, we have to understand that the symbol is not the actuality. The word is not the fact. The word fear is not the actual state of fear. But most of us live by words. To us, words are very important. They are, have certain value in communication, but in themselves they are not they have not great significance. But what has significance is the, is the fact which the word represents. So we must be very clear into go, when we go into this question of fear and what is going to follow after that, that the actual state cannot be experienced through the Word. And the Word is not the thing. The Word tree, the Word woman, the man, is not the actual woman or the man or the tree. And with most of us, The symbol interferes with the actual perception of the fact. Either the symbol evokes the fear, that's the word, stimulates fear, or the word bars the understanding of fear. We have to see the significance not only of the word, but see that the word doesn't interfere with the fact. And therefore, one of the important things, it seems to me, is to be free first of the Word. The Word Pakistani or the Hindu or the Parsi or the Communist, because that Word hides the fact. The Word, with all its memories, content, significance prevents the seeing of the actuality. And often the word stimulates the actuality. Like the word death immediately evokes many images, scenes, fancies, hopes, despair. But the word is not the fact. And it is important to not only to understand this fact, this process, 
that the world is not the same and the world does often prevents the act, the perception of the act, <coughs> of the actuality but also one has to be free of the world to observe the fact because freedom is essential to see to observe to hear to feel to think clearly to examine freedom is absolutely necessary from the very beginning not at towards the end that is if i want to examine that tree or the an idea or a feeling or a fact i must be free to examine it i mustn't be attached to my opinions to my judgments to my evaluations to my prejudices to my environmental influences so freedom is essential from the very beginning to exact and the word freedom is not the fact the fact is entirely different because the moment there is freedom to examine then the word becomes insignificant and you begin to realize that how difficult it is to be free to examine and most of us to most of us freedom is not important at all we don't want it we are frightened we rather depend we rather live in the old pattern in the particular society culture environment and not demand that human beings must be completely free and this freedom cannot be given obviously you cannot buy it you cannot read about it in books because the the books asking another what it is is merely a symbol an idea a, a word and through the word you cannot get at the fact so when we are going to examine this thing of fear one has to be very clear from the very beginning that freedom is necessary to examine not acceptance on the contrary there must be no say you must say no rather than yes to find out the decay in this country the deterioration that's going on one of the major facts causes of it is that we accept and accepting live in that which we have accepted we never say no no means revolt you can revolt as a reaction which doesn't lead anywhere but in the fact of saying no to a dirty foul street in that very 
assertion, there is action. The action is not after the saying no. The action is simultaneous with the saying. Please follow all this carefully, because to, a, to understand fear, which is one of the major problems of our life, conscious or unconscious, there must be freedom to say no to it and not try to find ways and means of escaping from it. Because we have developed through centuries a network of escapes. We are apparently incapable of facing the fact facing a fact of war, the whole implication of it, facing any fact. Because facing the fact demands action. Whereas if you escape from action, if you escape from the fact, then the fact becomes the problem. At least there is fear, we'll go into it, but first we must see very clearly what's implied. There is fear. We have never come into directly into contact with that fact. If we do, either we actually know and we are incapable of dealing with it, or we know how to deal with it. But if you escape from the fact, the escape becomes the problem, not the fact. Because it's one of the most difficult things to face a fact. Because our minds refuse to look at anything directly. Please do observe this as an actuality in yourself, not listen merely to words. Fear, that is, an awareness of danger, has many forms. There is no abstract fear. It's not an abstraction, it's an actuality. We know the process of how fear comes into being. Fear always exists in relationship to something. It is not it doesn't exist by itself. And there is only one form of fear, which is the physical survival. If you see a snake, the whole metabolism of the organism changes. You act, either run away or do something. You act. That's one thing. This 
physical reaction is necessary, is essential, otherwise you will be destroyed. That's the whole structure of the brain is based on that, obviously. The survival, physical survival. But human being carries over into the psyche this fact that he must survive psychologically. Right? Am I making myself? We'll go into it. So it is not what we are frightened of, the physical pain, physical danger, but the fear psychologically, the what people will think, the losing a job, the survival after death, and so on. The whole machinery of physical survival is one thing, and it is absolutely necessary. The more sensitive, alert, watchful you are, the more acute, and therefore the greater the demand, that is, We must all physically survive, otherwise we can't think, feel, obviously. But psychologically that physical survival of man is denied because of our nationality, of religious differences class differences, which breeds war. And so the physical survival is denied. Please, obviously this is a fact. So a man who would understand fear must not only be free of nationalism, of all the religious beliefs, and dogmas, because then it is incapable of examining. And a man who is totally free of fear psychologically, he can then observe, look, listen, and in that clarity act. The third extract is from the fifth talk in Sarnen, 1964, titled Facing the Fact of Fear. Now what is fear? Have we really ever come face to face with fear? Or with the idea of fear? And there is a difference between the two. The actual fact of fear and the idea about fear. You are, the two are something entirely different. Most of us are caught in the idea about fear, the opinion about fear, the judgment, the evaluation, but never we are never in contact with the actual fact of fear itself. I think this we have to understand 
rather widely and deeply. Say I'm afraid of the snake. I saw it one day and it has caused me a great deal of fear. And that remains in my mind as memory. And when I go out of an evening, this whole memory comes into operation. And I am already frightened of meeting a snake. So, the idea of fear is much stronger than the fact itself. The idea of death, the idea, is extraordinarily more vital, more poignant, more vital than the fact itself. Observe it in yourself. So we are never in contact with the actual fear itself. Just observe that. You can't, you can't remove the idea. You can't say, well, I'll try and meet fear without the world. You can't. But if you understand that you are never indirectly in communion with the fact of fear, with the fact of jealousy, with the fact of death, but only with, with the ideation, with that memory of that, then you will see a different relationship taking place between the fact and yourself. Right? Is this fairly clear? Right? So to us, the idea is far more important than the action itself. We translate or adjust or interpret action according to the idea. And we are never in action. We are always in action with the idea. I don't... And moment you realize this extraordinary fact, that we function according to a formula, act according to a concept, an idea, and therefore never an action at all, or an action so incomplete that breeds problems. Once you realize that fact, then action becomes an astonishingly vital thing, not a approximate uh, an, an action approximating an idea. Now, if that is clear, that we are much more familiar, more in communion with the idea, rather than with the fact, more in communion with the idea of what beauty is and not in communion with beauty or with evil, whatever it is, then you will see that if you understand it, 
then there is only the fact of a fear. Fear is not an abstraction, it's always in relation to something. I am afraid of death. I am afraid of what public opinion says. I am afraid of not being popular, not being known. So, fear is always in relation to something. Fear of dark, fear of public opinion, fear of dying without achieving anything. And so on, so on, so on. So, there is the word which is not the fact. The word is the symbol of the fact. And for us the symbol is far more important than the fact, religiously, in every way. Now, if you are aware of this, then you are confronted with the fact alone of fear arising from something, in which the idea is totally absent. Right? You're following what I'm I hope I'm making myself clear. So, to understand fear, one has to understand how the mind operates with regard to facts. Can the mind free itself from the word, the symbol, the idea, and observe the fact? Without interpretation, without translating, without saying, I must... any activity towards the I, fact at all. If it operates with an opinion, it's merely dealing with ideas, right? So this is very important to understand, this fact that we are never in communion with the fact but only in communion through an idea, through a symbol. And therefore no communion with the fact at all. And if I want to be in communion with the fact the idea must completely disappear. Right? Now, if you proceed from there, we'll see where it leads us. Then, there is the fact that I'm afraid of what somebody says. Of death, a dozen things. Now what has taken place when you are not observing the fact through an idea, through a conclusion, through a concept, through memory, what actually takes place. You're following? I hope you're doing this as I'm talking. What actually takes place when you are looking at the fact <coughs> without conclusions, without memory, without idea? First of all, 
there is no division between the observer and the thing observed. You never say, then, I am afraid. I being separate from the thing. You understand? You are coming with... Are you... Am I making this clear? Because the cause of separation has been removed. You are directly in relation with the sensation which you call fear. Therefore you, with your opinions, ideas, judgments, evaluations, concepts, memories, all that is absent. Therefore there is only that thing. This, this is arduous what we are doing. This isn't just a morning's entertainment. Because I feel one can leave this tent this morning and be completely, uh, deeply free of fear altogether. And then you are a human being. So, you are now facing the fact that sensation, that apprehension, which an idea has brought about. You understand? I am afraid of death. I'm taking that as an example. I'm not talking of death. I am talking about the fear of death. Death to an ordinary living man is an idea. It's not a fact. The fact is when he is himself in a state of dying, he has observed, he has seen, he has watched his mother, his wife, or the people die. And the concept, the observation, the feeling that he is also going to die, which becomes an idea, obviously, and that breeds fear. Or that he looks through the idea which prevents him from being directly in contact with the fact at the moment. Right? So the, I see, so one observes, there is only fear. And the cause is obvious, what has brought about that fear. There is no interval between, please listen, there is no interval between the observer and the thing observed. You understand? It is in this interval thought arises. Thought being the ideation, the verbalization, the memory, which offers resistance to the fact. Right? So when there is a gap in the sense where there is the absence of thought, which is time, then you are completely confronted with the fact. Then 
the fact operates on you or not, you operate on the fact. The final extract in this episode is from the fourth talk in Bombay, 1962, titled Meeting Facts Without Thought. So the question is, in understanding fear, is it possible to, for thought to end? which is for thought not to project into the future and therefore accept, see, not accept, see the fact every minute as it arises without any projection. You understand? I am afraid of my wife or my husband. I am afraid of death. I am not talking about death, we will talk about it another time. We are talking about fear. Now, thought projects itself into the future. It doesn't want to die. It doesn't know what is in the future. It knows what it is in the present with all the turmoil, the ache, the anxiety, the sorrow, the misery that it lives in. And it projects itself into the future and is afraid. And it projects itself because it is uncertain, not clear, confused. It projects an idea of permanency and therefore is afraid that you will not reach permanency. It's afraid of public opinion because it, being, it wants to be respectable because respectability is a very pain thing. Society recognizes it's a noble thing. And so it's afraid of what society says, therefore it guards itself. It's afraid of the dark. It's afraid of all the unconscious, uncovered issues. Still, it's the process of thinking. So, to meet thought, to meet fact as it arises without thought, merely to observe it as each fact arises in a flash. Now, sirs, I'm going to explain a little more about it because I see that you will not be able to follow quickly. There is the fact that I am afraid of my wife. Thought has created it, my action has created it, and I am afraid. I am taking that as an example. You can take of something which you, of which you are afraid. I am not afraid of my wife because I am not married. So, I am afraid of my wife. I have done something which I am ashamed of, or which I want her not to know, or she nags me. And I don't want all that. I rather get used to it. So I have got used to it which is, my mind has accepted it and in the acceptance habit has become, I don't pay any attention anymore 
to whatever she says, which is I, I live with it, which is my mind through habit, through acceptance, through taking on what is what, what she's saying casually has corrupted my, my mind. I've become dull to her. It's become a habit. And I don't break away from that habit. Because breaking away from that habit implies change. And I don't want change. So I'm afraid. And that's a fact. Now, how is it possible to understand that fact of fear without introducing thought? Because thought is either wants to reject it, or accept it, or change it, or modify it, according to its, to its convenience. You understand what I am saying? How to meet this fact that I am afraid without the background of fear, of thought? Because thought will translate it, will interpret it, will shape it, will deny it, will want to get over it, try to conquer it. Thought will not understand it, because thought is the result of memory. And therefore it only can respond to what it already knows. And therefore it is incapable of meeting fear, which is, fear is always comes and goes. It is not conscious, though it may be in the unconscious permanently, but it expresses itself not continuously in a flashes. Now, to meet those flashes of fear without thought, those who have permanent fear, they become neurotic, they have other problems. But those who are more or less rational, they have not constant fear. They meet it occasionally, or they meet it every so often, when they meet their wife. So to, when you meet that fact, to meet it without thought, to meet it completely, which means Having understood the whole process of thinking, intellectually, verbally, and with compassion, which gives precision, which gives immediate contact with the fact, to meet the fact totally implies not only intellectually, but emotionally. And this process of learning of the fact is not possible when you have already, when you approach it with thought which already has known. Thought is the outcome of the known. Can you meet fear without the known? Then you will see if you can so meet it, then there is no fear, because it is the projection of the known that creates fear. The projection of thought, which, ha which is the result or the response of the known that creates fear. Thought as time creates fear. And when you have understood the whole process of thought and are able to look at the fact 
able to see the fact, are able to be in emotionally in contact totally with the fact, then you are not approaching with thought which is the result of the law. Therefore you are approaching it new. A new mind is not afraid. A new mind is inquiring. 